The scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 100, and that will be our text as well. You'll be able to find that on page 689 of your pew Bible. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all your lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. The Word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how are you feeling? As this new year has been setting in, how have things been going for you? You may be thinking right now, what kind of question is that? Especially for a sermon on a Sunday. What kind of question is that? I feel good for the moment, but that'll soon change. The holidays are over and I'm saying goodbye to my family, or maybe I have already said goodbye to my family. The house is about to let, get a lot more gloomy now that the festivities are over, and we've still got a cold, dark winter ahead. My bank account has shown me that I've probably spent more than I should have, and the New Year's resolutions that I've made, well, they're starting to fail too. It can be a difficult time of year. But this Sunday, this Sunday, for a short time, the Lord frees us to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our own personal difficulties, and to fix them on Him in worship. It's a quiet relief from the busyness of life. It's a moment in which we can all come in humble submission, equal in value in the eyes of God, regardless of our status as boss or employee, as husband or wife, or as rich or indebted. And today we have the opportunity to do this once again through the lens of Scripture, specifically through the lens of Psalm 100. Here in Psalm 100 we can see The psalm only divided in two parts, if you have your NKJV. But there's actually a fourfold division that comes out here. It's like a mini symphony that we see, with each new section being a new movement, and each movement having its own progression. It's actually really beautiful. In verses 1 to 2, we see the initial call to enjoy Him. Verse 3, we see a call to know Him. Verse 4, we see that grow into a call to draw near to him. And in, then in verse 5, we see a call to rely on him. And so today we'll look at those four points under the following theme. Come to the Lord with thanksgiving. We'll see, first of all, enjoy him. Second, know him. Third, draw near to him. And finally, rely on him. 
The setting of our psalm today is during a pilgrimage to a temple for a feast day. It seems from the opening words of our psalm, the writing of this psalm, the Jews found themselves in the diaspora scattered throughout the nations and they were making their way to the temple of the Lord, which you can see in verse 4. Now, this time in the history of the Israelites was not an easy time for them, but it was what they knew. Living among the Gentiles, scattered abroad, they had made their homes They had built their businesses and their lives there. They had their family there. But for all of them, in their minds, they recognized that their true home was always the Holy Land. The feast day would come and then the cry would go up, let us go to the house of the Lord. And from all of these lands, pilgrims would gather They would travel over hill and mountain, through rivers and valleys, reaching the land of Israel itself, and then climbing ever higher and higher until they could see the holy city sitting on a hill, shining in the sun. The feast days for them were a recognition of the goodness of the Lord towards his people. And so our psalmist begins by calling to these pilgrims, reminding them of that. Our psalmist begins by calling out to the farthest reaches of the world. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. It's a day of celebration that's approaching. It's an opportunity for them to revel in the Lord their God. Now, you'll notice that it's the covenant name of God that's being used here by the capital letters Lord in our psalm. This is the name that pointed Israel to the relationship that he established with them. And it's something that the psalmist wants to draw special attention to, using it time and time again in this psalm. They might be in the nations that are surrounded by other gods, but they are being called out of those nations. They're being called away from their false gods, those false gods, and they're being called to rejoice in the one true God, their God. Sunday after Sunday, we have that same call go out to us as well, whatever land we find ourselves in around the world. As we gather together for worship, you and I are called to this. And we're called not just to do something that's, that's a requirement, not just to tick off a box because it's right, You know, that can sometimes be our attitude as we come to church. Well, it's just the expected thing to do. We're Reformed Christians, and if I didn't, I would stand out, so so probably I should come. I guess it's just a good thing to do anyways. But this isn't just the call to come to church. This psalm is teaching us to recognize that We have been called out of the nations. What a privilege that is. If it wasn't for the sake of God, no one would believe. But we, we who believe, have the privilege of being gathered together from the nations as His covenant people. He is the one true God. And He's the one who has chosen to establish a relationship with his people. 
From the beginning of the world, he's been gathering for himself a church and a people starting in the garden itself with Adam and Eve. And from then to today, he's been calling them out of the world to love him, to follow him, and to obey him with their whole hearts. And now that call goes out to you as well. And what's the first thing that God's people are called to do? We come to our passage again. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. The psalmist writes, and he follows that with, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. The author of our psalm today is telling the people, this is your God. Just enjoy him. People will oftentimes have this picture of God as a demanding taskmaster with a list of things that you need to check off. Or perhaps their idea is someone whom you have to walk carefully around on tiptoes just in case you disturb him. It's like in the herding home in which you have that one parent who everybody has to be on their best behavior around when they come home tired, just in case. Because the moment you do something wrong, that parent will explode with anger. You never know what will set them off. But that's not God. God is good. For the people of Israel, they would be reminded of how he was the God who gave them freedom. He was the God who had brought them out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. He chose them from the nations as his own. And for us today, we're also reminded by that name, that covenant name of Lord, Yahweh, of how he freed us. Yes, he is a just God and he's righteously angry with sin, but if you have put your faith in him through Jesus Christ, you have salvation. His justice is satisfied. If you've been saved, you need only to expect a father whose arms are open. But more than that, he's a God who wants you to enjoy his presence, who calls you to enjoy his presence. Beloved, this is your God. This is your Father. Listen to this author's call and just enjoy him. Which brings us to our second point, know him. Now the thing with enjoying the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord is that you can't really rejoice in the Lord unless you have a relationship with him. And so the psalmist continues with the next movement of his symphony. Know that the Lord, He is God. The word, that's, the word that's used for know here is an imperative form of a Hebrew word, a Hebrew word, yada. Now, this isn't just any kind of knowing. This is a deep and intimate knowing. To know on this level is to experience the other person. We read in Genesis 4 verse 1 that Adam knew his wife Eve and then she conceived and she bore a son. Now we're not just talking about a physical union here. The Bible speaks about this moment as when the two become one flesh. It's a bond that's deeper than mere physical. 
It's spiritual, it's emotional, and it's psychological. It's embedded in the deepest part of our soul. Know, know that the Lord, He is God. Obviously, we can't know a human being like this with just a surface-level relationship. And the same is true for God. We can't know Him in this deep and intimate way if we just have a surface-level relationship with Him. Think back to the first few verses of this passage again and reflect on that. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Are you not able to find joy in simply being in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes the reason for this is because we struggle with chemical imbalances in the brain causing depression and anxiety. And that's simply a reality of this broken and fallen world. In these times, we need to recognize that even if we don't feel that joy directly in this moment, God is still faithfully there for us. But there are other times when we don't feel joy for the Lord simply because we haven't bothered to cultivate a deeper relationship with Him. I can't do devotions because I don't have time. I'm off to work in the morning first thing and I come home late at night. My kids keep me running from dawn to dusk. I don't have time to sit down, to read, and to pray. My wife and I go to bed at different times. She's asleep by the time I come in, so we can't do devotions together. These are all excuses. You can work around them. Want to know how? Just ask the many other people, parents, the people who are working, people who are married, how they do it. Talk to the godly role models, people who you know are strong in the faith and whose spiritual walk you really respect, how they do it. Ask them. It doesn't matter if you're five years old or if you're 50. Ask them. It doesn't require much effort just to ask. Ask how they weave it into their day and make it a pattern of life. And after that, ask them to help keep you accountable for that first little while until it becomes a pattern for you. It can be as simple as that. Now, my, my point with listing these kinds of excuses and the many others that we have beside is, is not to make you feel bad or load you down with guilt. This isn't a question of checking off some boxes so that you can be right with God. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and you have assurance of that, then you know you will be saved. Now, obviously, if you don't want to know the Lord, there's a bigger problem here. We'll not get into that this morning, but that's not my point for today. My point is this. Do you want to come to know the Lord deeply and intimately? Do you really want to find joy in Him? It's a beautiful thing if you do. It really is. Ask for help. There are so many people around you here in church today who are willing and ready to take this journey with you. To know that the Lord 
He is God. The beautiful thing about that knowing is this. Once you know that the Lord, the one with whom you have a covenant relationship is your God, that he's the ruler of the universe, he is the one who has made all things and that all things are under control, then this confidence comes out. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Yahweh, the one who bound himself in a relationship with you who believe, he is God and he made you. I don't know if this means much to you at this moment in time. But for the people of Israel, this was an incredible comfort. You see, they were surrounded by nations who all claimed to have their own gods. They had their own deities who controlled a particular river or a trait like fertility or an event like victory. But by saying what he did, this psalmist is placing Yahweh far above all those other gods. He is preeminent and he himself bends the knee. John Calvin writes, what man is, he's not by virtue of his own efforts. What he has is not owned by him. It is he that made us and we are his. This is the way which the creature speaks of his maker and the Lord on whom he depends in everything and to whom alone he can turn for help. Just a God, just another God, the Israelites would think. What would I do with that? But this is God whom I can claim as my own. This is the God who not only made me, but has laid his claim on me. We're his people and the sheep of his pasture. We might not feel like we belong in this world. Especially when things are looking grim financially or emotionally. Or when things are uncertain with regards to our, our jobs or our relationships. But we can know that there is one place in which we do belong. And that's in the care of our God. We are his sheep. We belong to him. We belong. And this brings us to our third point, draw near to him. Coming near, coming to the next section of the psalm, the next movement in a symphony of praise, the progression in this psalm becomes especially clear. We read, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So what's the response to knowing Yahweh as your God? It's to draw near to him. The picture is one of the pilgrim who, knowing the Lord, has made the pilgrimage from distant and scattered nations and is now drawing near to his sanctuary. He's coming near to the temple grounds and he makes that first step, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. This is the first progression. 
The pilgrim, as he's drawing near to God, walks up the winding streets through the crowded city and then through the gates of the temple itself. And taking this first step onto the temple grounds fills him with thanksgiving. Now today, as Christians, we are the temple of God, 1 Peter 2. Each of us are living stones that make up that temple. And as we gather together for worship as a body, God is present in a very special way. I think that sometimes as Christians, we tend to lose sight of how amazing and how precious it is to be able to gather together as a body. Rather than being filled with Christian joy at the opportunity that we have to gather together and to worship, again, it becomes a a drudgery or a chore. But the point of worship is that we are gathering together for worship. Worship is not just an atmosphere which an individual who's preaching the word brings, nor is it the music that's played. Worship is, as one dictionary puts it, the expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, or as a theologian puts it, right worship depends on a right grasp in our minds of the way that God really is and a right response in our hearts to his worth. Our God is of inestimable worth. He's a holy, just, and righteous God. And he's fully worthy of our adoration and reverence. And so that fills the psalmist with thanksgiving and so follows the progression. Enter the gates with thanksgiving. And the next step, his courts with praise. If you believe in this God, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, his son, you recognize that of yourself, you are a sinner. Of ourselves, we are unworthy and miserable sinners. We deserve hell. And we have no right to enter into these gates at all. We deserve to be struck dead at the entryway into God's sanctuary. Yet for the sake of Christ his Son, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove your transgressions from you. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God lets you gather together as his people. Not only does God allow us to gather together as his people, not only does he allow us to live as we gather together, but he lets us draw near in worship towards him. And we can see that step-by-step progression and the, the awe and the joy in the words of the psalmist here, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and then be thankful to him. The worshiper is drawing nearer and nearer to the God that he knows is his until he stands in his very presence. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And this brings us to our fourth point. Rely on him.
So we enjoy the Lord. And we seek to know him intimately. We seek to draw near to him. The question that arises after all of that is why? It's, pretty, it's a pretty intimidating thought to expose yourself emotionally to another human being. To be intimate with another human. And to feel that you need to reach a point with that other human being so that the two of you can just sit together and enjoy each other's company. Maybe you do have someone like that in your life. But that makes you all the more aware that that's not a relationship that you have with everyone. But the psalmist has no hesitation in diving into a relationship like this with God and striving to make it as intimate as possible. And the question that comes up is, why? Why does he have no hesitations here? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Humans can hurt you. When you're with another human being, sin comes into the mix. And then your feeling of their faithfulness towards you wavers. But with God, that's different because the Lord is good. The Lord is good to all who draw near to him in faith. His mercy is everlasting. The word for mercy here is the famous Hebrew word chesed. It's that famous Hebrew word chesed. It's otherwise translated as steadfast love, loving kindness, or even better, loyal love. It's undeserved, unwavering love. And it's aimed directly at the people whom God has chosen for himself. If the people of the Old Testament could lay claim to this love as they drew near to God in worship, how much more can we today not do the same? How can we not even be more confident of his love towards those who humbly draw near to him in worship after he allowed for the death of his own beloved son, as payment for our sins. So, coming back to our question from the beginning, how are you feeling? You may be feeling rotten right now. Your world may be in a really difficult place. Things are not all okay in the world. And yet, as we draw near in worship, as we draw near in worship, we are able to leave everything at the door, to strive to leave everything at the door, and trust in the steadfast, loyal love of our heavenly God and Father. Belgian Confession, Article 23, says it well. Therefore, we always hold to this firm foundation, we give all glory to God, humble ourselves before him, and acknowledge ourselves to be what we are. We don't claim anything for ourselves or our merits, 
but we rely and rest on the only obedience of Jesus Christ crucified. His obedience is ours when we believe in him. That's a big deal. God himself sent Christ so that we can draw near and worship without being consumed by his wrath. And we stand as righteous before God for Christ's sake. So, beloved congregation, take time today to just slow down and enjoy God. Seek to know him, to draw near to him, to enter his, enter his presence with worship and praise. And take your Sunday as a moment of privilege where you can leave your worries and cares behind knowing that the Lord will take care of them while they're laid aside and love him for it. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen.